Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is going to be talking to us about a plan to bring nuclear energy into Southwest Virginia. My guest is Reese Shearer. He's a volunteer with the Southwest Virginia Nuclear Watch Coalition. And when we were getting set up for this interview by Zoom, I asked him, uh, we're doing this late at night, to tell you the truth, and I said, I was afraid you might have gone to sleep before I got to my computer tonight. And he said he hadn't been sleeping much. I said, why does it relate to this topic? And he said, yes. Reese Shearer, welcome to this conversation. Thank you, Teresa. What is it about bringing nuclear reactors, a small nuclear reactor, a small modular nuclear reactor to Southwest Virginia? Why does that disturb you? Well, I grew up with atomic energy. My father worked with the Atomic Energy Commission back in the 1950s. He was not a scientist. He, he worked in personnel, but um, we love the atom. I tried to borrow my dad's at atomic uh, tie clip to wear on Sundays. And uh, he would go to Los Alamos, which was a closed city then, and and come back with irradiated dimes and stuff. So we became quite fascinated with this. And as a consequence, I've sort of followed the trajectory of nuclear energy over the years. Um, when my dad was working with it, they were trying to convert what was a weapon of war. And if you saw the Oppenheimer film, um, you know exactly what that was about. Um, to a weapon of peace. In fact, President Eisenhower uh, called it atoms for peace. So I guess not a weapon for peace, but a tool for peace. It's going to make the uh, lives of, of women better, uh, giving them power for the new appliances that were coming into the kitchen in the 1950s and uh, so forth. So it was gonna be a great thing for us in the United States and around the world, but it hasn't worked out that way. In point of fact, um, nuclear facilities that have been planned, almost half of them have been canceled over the years. So um, all this money that goes into plan, design, engineer, and develop these reactors doesn't necessarily result in any power coming out of them. In fact, almost half have none. So um, it's certainly an issue that um, has economic consequences, but it also has pretty serious toxic consequences as well, since um, the waste, the high level waste is a problem that you can't be stored. There's no permanent solution uh, for this waste. And it is so highly toxic that it stays uh, about as toxic as any kind of substance that we are aware of for close to a quarter million years. That's a long time. And getting close to the time that Homo sapiens has been on the earth. All right, so nuclear waste has been an issue that hasn't been resolved. So these, this reactor plan will clearly come with nuclear waste. But let's talk about just what the system is, 
Reese, it's described as small modular reactor, which leaves out the nuclear part. Other people prefer to keep that in there and to call it the small modular nuclear reactor. How big is it? Well, the DOE says that a small modular nuclear reactor, Department of Energy says it's uh, anything pretty much from about 10 uh, or 50 megawatts on up to 250 or 300. Uh, and in the legislation that we're going to be talking about shortly, the uh, maximum has been placed at 500 megawatts. Well, the DOE defines that as a standard reactor, not a small modular nuclear reactor at all. But what makes it modular is the idea, and this was an idea to make the facilities cheaper and easier to pass through NRC regulation. If they could get a design approved, um, then they could replicate that design and put these reactors all over the country. Um, so the way it would work is, is the reactor, after it had, a, had design approval from the NRC, it would be produced in a factory and the modules would be shipped on a uh, train or truck bed to the site and put together by a uh, expert itinerant crew. Uh, so there would be virtually no employment during construction from these facilities, um, no local employment, and even during operation. And the governor and local officials have touted the great good jobs that would come from these facilities. Well, um, NRCs are already given approval for 12 of these to be operated from a single remote area. Uh, or control room. So it could be operated in uh, Richmond, if it were Dominion or Columbus, Ohio, if it were AEP Appalachian Power. Uh, it doesn't have to be operated on site anymore. Um, so the employment question is basically a mirage. There will be need for security and mowing the grass and occasional cleanup where people will get exposed to low levels of radiation, but that'll be about all the local employment in the reactors. Is there a site that's already chosen? The governor, Governor Glenn Youngkin, made a deal on the 1st of November, or he announced the deal, uh, with Energy Transfer, which is one of the largest pipeline companies in the nation and maybe the world. They're out of Dallas, Texas, and they own what's called the Penn Virginia land and principally in Wise County. I think some of uh, goes into some of the other counties as well, Lee and Dickinson probably. Um, this Penn Virginia land is, is mined. It's abandoned mine land, deep mine land. And it, it, it's 65,000 acres in this plot. In Wise County. Yeah, almost a quarter of the entire county. Um, and so the governor announced that this was going to be something called Data Ridge, where they would bring data centers in and power them with small modular nuclear reactors. Um, 
and also use that the, the reactors to power the uh, electrolysis of hydrogen, probably from mine methane. I'm not sure what the feedstock would be. Um, and they also are talking about taking carbon from uh, Kingsport Industries, principally Eastman and one other, Tennessee Eastman, and shipping that to the site and storage, storing it into the earth, into the deep, maybe below the mines. I don't know exactly. We haven't. One of the problems, Teresa, is that there's been no public information provided, no opportunity for public involvement. Um, can you imagine in Washington County, where we live, if a quarter of the county was suddenly handed over to a huge energy and data center park without the first zoning meeting, without any public hearing? That's what's happening in Wise County. Well, are people in Wise County aware of this and are there protests? Are there people involved? Are there people who like the idea? Mostly people have no idea about it. Uh, like I said, it hasn't been publicly announced other than the governor came uh, fall a, a year ago and had a private announcement invitation only. So it, I don't even, it was barely covered by the press. I think there was a press release that was printed. Um, but the, some local officials attended and that was it. There was no opportunity for the public to learn about it. And we've had to piece this together as best we can because um, for the last couple of years, local organizations that are sort of quasi-public and quasi-private um, organizations like Go Virginia District One um, and various organizations with nuclear in the name um, and the Tobacco Commission and so forth. They've all been talking about this and um, making plans, but not the public in general. And it hasn't been covered by the press uh, hardly at all. But um, the, the group that I'm working with, Southwest Virginia Nuclear Watch, has been leafleting and sponsoring community meetings across the coalfield area. They've done this in 10 towns in the last month um, to bring the information that we know and that we've been able to sort of pry out of the uh, um, hidden data. Um, not that these these meetings are, are closed, it's just that they are under the radar. Um, you know, nobody uh, thinks to go to a Go Virginia meeting that um, might be meeting every quarter uh, somewhere in the, in, in the district that includes about eight, 10 counties. Um, we don't generally keep up with that sort of thing. And if there aren't new local news sources uh, being informed of this and covering it, um, that then the people have no idea. And that's, well, that's a topic that's for another happen. day. We need to address that. We are losing journalism in the area, and it does make a huge difference. I, I hope that other people can see it uh, as I can. It just makes a huge difference in the sense of community, the sense of purpose, and so forth. But uh, we'll save that 
discussion for another day, but I need to understand a little more clearly. You used the term uh, public slash private, and I need to be clear on exactly who the owners are. I mean, you're talking about dominion power. You're talking about American electric power, which is also Appalachian power. I had thought that these projects were owned and operated, planned and being executed by those energy companies, which seems odd because they're the, well, I don't know, they're electrical is do we, we're getting electrical power from this. Is it just, they're treating it as a subsidiary who owns it? How is all that working? Well, let me take one step back before I plunge into your question. There's uh there's an excess of data centers that are cropping up across Virginia. Virginia has more data centers in it than any nation has in it, other than the United States. Um, so- Reese, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. I mean, I've got a, a bit of a vision. These data centers are where there are a gazillion computers all being powered that are running things all over the place, and they suck up an enormous amount of energy, and they're being planted here and there and everywhere to keep our computers running and store our data and having us communicate the way we do. Yeah, except not everywhere, because um, the state of Virginia offers tax incentives for these and has attracted a bunch because of that. Um, I think because the internet has a focal point in Loudoun County, west of Washington, DC, uh, I think the data centers kind of flock to that area. And uh, yes, there are huge windowless buildings that hum 24 seven and basically are composed of many, many millions of switches inside that switch on and off and, and, and save all of your email and all of the data that you have in your online Google Docs and so forth. Um, and somebody said become, that they these data centers are currently, correct me on this statistic, but in Virginia, the data centers use 30% of the power that we use in the state of Virginia. Not yet. I think uh, in the Dominion ter- Power Territory in Virginia, which is mostly Eastern Virginia, Northern Virginia, and Tidewater areas, it is um, about 12%, I believe. I'm, I'm not sure of that figure, but it's growing rapidly. And uh, the, the utility and its planning says that uh, within 10 to 15 years we're talking about, or maybe a little bit longer, we're talking about 30% of demand will be from these data centers. So they're expecting many more to arrive here and and suck up the energy that uh, we have been using. And consequently, they want to provide more energy for these facilities. And they want to charge us customers who've been here all these years for that energy. So Getting back to your question, what happens is the um, facilities would be built by utilities. Uh, They could be built independently, but in Virginia, um, Dominion Energy and Appalachian Power like to own their energy facilities because 
the way the rate structure is set up uh, is called the the, uh, the tariff. The tariff is set up based on the amount of investment that the utility has in infrastructure, power lines, poles, uh, uh, substations, and generating facilities. And all of that uh, percentage is, is taken off of that called the authorized rate of return. And that becomes uh, the profit that the company is allowed to, to take in from your electric bill. Because there is a public utility commission that puts a lid on how much money these utilities can charge for the service. The State Corporation Commission is that public utility commission in Virginia. All right. But and, so you're saying that these utility companies are the people who are building the facilities and they get to own the facilities. Well, let, that they would build them if they could. Let's put it that way. Um, and that's a big if. But that's that's the plan. That's what they want to do, because uh, then they can get it in what's called the rate base and they can charge for it. But you know what? They're so risky. The one, they're none, none of these small modular nuclear reactors operating in the United States, zero. The one that was closest to uh, even construction had, had been given preliminary design approval by the NRC, was canceled last November. It was canceled seven days after the governor made his announcement about the Data Ridge project, seven days later. So that's been a real um, shock to to the technology. Um, This new, new scale was a facility that was being built in Idaho for customers in Utah, cooperative electric co-ops in, in Utah. Um, the, the cost kept going up and up and up even before they broke ground, even before they had a, a construction uh, plan approval. So um, this, this was happening in the billions of dollars, and it included a pipeline of over $2 billion from the federal government to uh, subsidize this first small modular nuclear reactor. And even with that $2 billion subsidy, it was too rich for the blood of the co-ops and they canceled it. Uh, They refused to buy the electricity. Now they had to eat some of the costs, but um, they weren't gonna go ahead with it because it was just gonna end up being more than the ratepayers could bear. And that's one of the main concerns that we have here is none of these have been producing, none of them have been constructed. So we're in an open field in terms of what the costs ultimately could be. Let me interrupt for a second. I'm talking with Reese Shearer here on this conversation. He is a volunteer with Southwest Virginia Nuclear Watch Coalition. He's telling us about a plan to bring a small modular nuclear reactor to Wise County, Virginia in a system that's gonna take 65,000 acres of the county I think you said almost a quarter of the county. And the plan is moving ahead with Dominion Power and 
Appalachian uh, power and American electric power involved. And yet Reese is telling us that there's not a single one of these uh, small, small modular nuclear reactors operating. And yet here we go. But Reese, here is the question. Things are just never black and white. We need energy. We need electricity. We talked about the data centers that suck up the electricity. We depend on all of that. So we need the electricity. We need the power. What do we do for the power? People are thinking for some reason that this is a good idea. Well, there are alternatives. Um, for one thing, in what's called the levelized cost analysis, which compares um, the cost of energy in one form or another, everything from coal to nuclear to solar to wind, um, the cheapest form at utility scale is wind energy onshore. The next cheapest is solar energy. And then you get up into gas, natural gas, and then you uh, get to coal, and then you get to nuclear as the most expensive form of energy. It's the only form of energy in the past um, half dozen or so years that's actually increased in price, 53%. All the other forms of energy have decreased in price. Then Reese, why in the world are these utility companies, Dominion and AP, why are these companies trying to build nuclear instead of taking that 65,000 acres if they have access to it and putting solar or wind there? Well, I think it's because uh, they can get a lot more money by uh, spending our ratepayers' money on a nuclear facility. That's what I think it comes down to. Are uh, Dominion and, they and AEP, are they these huge companies that make gazillions of dollars? I always thought because that the State Corporation Commission limits them that they were more, that they also served the public and not just purely financial corporate interests. That's what is supposed to happen in theory. Um, the problem is that the, the rate base determines the profit. So if you have more invested than the 10 it's usually between nine and a half and 11% return on your investment. So if you have a more expensive investment, then you're getting more money back on that 10%, right? 10% of a million is less than 10% of 10 million. So, so greed, uh, you're, a, you're basically saying this is driven by greed. Absolutely that. Um, and I'll tell you exactly why. The two bills that are being uh, pushed through the General Assembly as we sit here tonight are patroned by individuals who received almost uh, one of them, uh, our representative, Delegate Israel O'Quinn, uh, uh, Emory and Henry graduate, and our delegate received about $92,000 uh, in campaign contributions for this last uh, election cycle in 2023. Well, you went to the polls as I did. Was there anybody running against Israel O'Quinn? No. No. He got uh, that huge amount of contributions for a race in which there was no competition. Um, the other 
individual who is uh, a Democrat up in Northern Virginia in, in Fairfax uh, received uh, well over that amount in the uh, up into well over $100,000 in campaign contributions. And a good portion of that money he received after the election. So in, uh, in that interim between when the session starts, when it's illegal to solicit contributions and the election. So um, it's really open season in Virginia to purchase uh, legislative support. That's what's happening here. When there's no competition, and might I add, when there's not much media coverage and journalism related to what's going on. But let's talk about this bill that's being introduced that says that we, the utility users, have to pay for this investment. Is that sailing through? Has that passed? It's uh, There's a bill in uh, that was started in the House, Israel O'Quinn's bill. HB 1491, uh, it passed just barely in committee and um, passed on the floor and is now in the Senate. That bill provides uh, the opportunity for Appalachian Power to get um, reimbursed for uh, initial planning and site preparation and purchase for small modular nuclear reactors up to 500 megawatts, like we said, not a small nuclear reactor anymore, and multiple reactors at a single site. So we're talking about rather major uh, investment here. Sorry about that. Um, so they invest that much money and they can bill us, they can add a tax what the, a tariff. What, the, what these bills do, is force the um, ratepayer. Well, there's a step in between. It, it it changes policy of the state corporation commission, which says uh, you cannot utility you cannot charge the ratepayer for this facility until it is built and generating power. Then you can charge the ratepayer for it. But Teresa, these facilities are so risky. None have been built in the United States. They're so risky that the utilities don't want to put their own money in it. They want to put our money in. And what these bills do is they say, um, with permission from the State Corporation Commission, the, the utilities can charge us incrementally for each step of the process along the way. So they can go back to the SCC and say, uh, oh, what we've done here is um, uh, prudent and we expect to be re uh, compensated for it. They can get some money from uh, a bank that is the bridge loan between uh, when they invest in uh, a design, say, from a company that's designing, and then charge us and pay off that loan. It, it gives the utilities permission to do this all the way through the process, not just in the initial design uh, phase. 
very quickly, how wealthy are these companies? They will say, I can hear it now, we've got demand for power, we've got to provide power. How rich are these companies? Could they do it without subsidies? They can't. And the reason is, it's it's too risky an investment. If they tried to go on the market and get money from uh, a financing institution, they would say, well, where has this been built elsewhere? How do you know that you can be successful in completing this? How do you know that the State Utility Commission will allow these kinds of expenses? It appears that the biggest issue here, aside from all the financial stuff, is that it's coming into an area where it's going to be built and it's going to leave nuclear waste. And what do we do about that? Can you just affirm that or deny that in a word or two? The, the only answer I can give to that is, uh, yeah, that, that the Stanford University study said there were more, there's a higher percentage of nuclear waste, high level nuclear waste. The governor wants to do on-site reprocessing of this waste. It's never been done before. I mean, it's crazy. We're talking, we're talking about going into a whole new world. According to Reese Shearer, Volunteer Southwest Virginia Nuclear Watch Coalition, we're going to a whole new world and it's scary. Reese, thank you so very much for your time on this, especially in the circumstance of having to do the interview tonight. But I hope listeners will appreciate your viewpoint and the fact that you're so informed. You're listening to this conversation on WEHC Emory and WISE Wise. You can hear us Wednesday at 6, Sunday at 2. You can find us on a podcast. Just search for WEHC Podcast This Conversation. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks again, Reese.